excited today to continue our series called Darkroom. How many of you guys loved Jordan last week speaking? It was so amazing. Loved this guy. Talked about fear and understanding that God will enable you, okay, through it. Don't be afraid. God will enable you through it and help you. If he says it, he means it, and it will happen. So today we find ourselves at yet another dark room. It's Palm Sunday. You're thinking, how in the world does this work? It'll make sense soon. We've, we've started this series a while back with the thought that it would culminate at the darkest room known to mankind called the tomb where salvation was literally created in that moment. The work of that, you, you understand it as, as he came back from the dead, salvation was created. And we'll talk about that next week as you bring all of your friends to hang out with us. But this Palm Sunday begins what's called the Holy Week in the church. And on this week starts the beginning of... of really probably the hardest week of Jesus's life because so many things was happening during this week. He would be betrayed by friends. Think about that, how hard that must have been for him. Um, he was someone that would go through trials through this week um, from the, the Jewish high court, but also Rome itself. And as he was given over to crucifixion, the, the worst possible death known to mankind in this week would end at the tomb. So we see that this is uh, something that's very important for us to, to really to be awake during, to be alive during. And I want to challenge you this week. Maybe you have the YouVersion Bible app, or maybe you have a Bible. Hopefully that's a good thing too. Uh, look in your gospels, look in the, the good news and read about what happened during this holy week. Because it's very important that we get this understanding, that we, we get ourselves in here. And I found myself even this past week thinking, about my relationship with Jesus and how much of it is tied to what I do professionally or how much of it is tied to who I am intrinsically with him. And I want to challenge you guys as I was challenged by him to, to, to reinvest in that relationship this week, to reinvigorate that relationship this week, that you walk through a holy week in your life that things die off, that things just are, are taken away that don't need to be there and things are added that need to be there this week. So I want to challenge you to that, okay? Again, you'll find some great reading plans with the YouVersion Bible app, but also in your Bible, okay? Sound good? So you're thinking... How do we relate this to a dark room? How does, how does something so exciting, a triumphal entry, okay? How does that relate to a dark room? They're not even in a room necessarily, right? We're envisioning Jesus coming into town. This is, this is an exciting thing. But you think about it for the people, the Jewish people of that time, they were an oppressed people paying crazy taxes to Rome, up under Rome. And they found themselves under this extreme load of, of, of just such, uh, really just uh, an extreme pressure, an extreme uh, failure, an extreme hurt, an extreme pain that was a dark room. And they were in need of someone to come and bring the light that needed to be there. So as we see Jesus performing mighty miracles and speaking with great authority, um, we, we see people coming to this realization that this is the Messiah. This is the one that scripture taught. This is that guy. There have been people before that did some pretty cool things, but this is the one. This is the Messiah. They were getting excited because the things that he had been doing, imagine people that were blind now seeing. People, Lazarus, being raised from the dead. People, these are big things. And he spoke with such authority that it got people's attention. Therefore, folks were excited this day. They were pumped for it, but yet there was still a dark room lurking, this oppression that they were under, this pain that they felt. Let me ask you this. Has there ever been a time in your life when things didn't turn out the way you expected or hoped? <laughs> Daily. 
We're driving to the airport yesterday. Just driving along. Man, I'm on time. We're early. We're doing great. Things are wonderful. And then one of my children, my eldest, my special son, I love him so much. He is really awesome. But he said, Dad, did you, did you grab my phone? I'm like, did I grab your phone? Did I, did I take care of your property? As I then have to get off on a toll that I do not have the correct change for. Anybody ever been to those tolls before? Woo! Johnny Blaze was up in the car at that moment. I was pumped. I had 50 cents and the toll was 75 cents. What do I do? Throw 50 in, pull over to the side, make sure they get a good picture, go look in the back and see if there's more, grab an envelope and run back and get the phone. Did I expect that? No. Was it wonderful? Absolutely. The joy of the Lord is my strength. How did you handle those failed expectations? Me, I failed miserably with it. But when your hopes, your plans are dashed, when situations aren't panning out the way you expect. See, we have the privilege of seeing the full dark room of the Jewish folk and the Gentiles of that day. We see, we know what happened throughout the Holy Week because we can read it. They didn't have that. So it's something that started out wonderful ended up to be something that was very dark for them because things did not turn out the way they expected. So this is something called failure. That's what we're going to talk about in just a couple moments today, is failure. How do we get past those moments? How do we get through those moments of failure? Well, the thing is, God's desire for our lives is that we have triumph. Why do you think they called it a triumphal entry? He was coming in triumphantly because he knew that he had already won. He could see to the end of the week. And other people were really excited. Again, their darkroom experience was coming. But he was coming with an understanding that this was triumph. But here's the problem. The adversary's desire for your life, and remember this, he has desires for you. The devil has desires for your life, is that you will fail. Is that you will not experience triumph long term, but you will experience failure that you will experience failure in many ways that will just sense and help you just to be just completely thrown out of the race. See, when we think about this triumph, a synonym for that is success. God wants to bring, and I'm not talking about, again, you give $10 now, you're going to have 100 tomorrow. Not that type of success. If you work hard now, you're going to have, no. I'm saying a different type of success, a kingdom triumph, a kingdom success that will make sense in just a few moments. So what is failure? Failure in, if you were to define it, you look on your screen, you can see it. A lack of success. Let's just go down the list. A lack of success. Anybody ever experienced a lack of success? A lack of triumph? You're like, daily bra. Okay, I get it. An omission of occurrence or performance, specifically of failing to perform a duty an expected action or expected action. Think about that, where something was supposed to happen a certain way, but it didn't, so then it equates with failure. Think about the Jewish folk as the dark room developed that day, how failure was something that was happening amongst them. A falling short deficiency, like a crop failure. This will make more sense even later as well as we get deeper into scripture. A crop failure, something that you were expecting to grow, but died, that was going to give life, but died, ends with this, one that has failed. Again, knowing the whole story, or you will at the end of this week, in their eyes, Jesus represented failure versus triumph. 
So today we're going to look at this dark room called failure. And I think we may see it today from a different perspective. It comes. It's so important for us to understand is this word perspective when it comes to failure and success. Because a lot of times, again, we perceive failure as failure when actually failure is success. All right. Again, having the full story, we can understand this, what Jesus came to do. But I want to help us understand that we need to change the way we perceive things, the way we see it. This isn't some self-help guide to three days later, you're going to be happy again. You're going to be smiling and there's going to be rainbows and unicorns. And no, but we have to get the right perspective and how we perceive things in life so that we can experience true triumph in this relationship we have. Are you with me? Okay. So in the gospel of Mark chapter 11, we see this dark room that the disciples, new followers of Christ, Jewish folk, Gentiles find themselves in as they sought for their kingdom. They were looking for their king. And all they found was a humble servant. Imagine this, and you'll see how this plays out. Imagine you expected some valiant warrior You expected somebody to to come in on a big white horse that was super muscular like me and had lots of, no, we all know that's a lie, but you expected someone that would be so amazing, so tremendous, that it was great he was doing these miracles, he was healing people and all this, but he was also going to be this mighty warrior that was just going to come into Rome and just be like, shing, shing, just cutting away the competition and stepping up and I am here. But that's not what happened, right? That's not what triumph looked like. God was developing something called triumph that couldn't and wasn't supposed to happen in any other way. Again, we perceive, we desire for things to happen one way, but when they turn out to be the opposite, all we think it is failure when God is actually creating Success. He's creating triumph. So again, the book of Mark was an eyewitness to the was not excuse me an eyewitness to Jesus' ministry. He was someone who was a missionary who accompanied Paul on some of his missions work. You heard that a couple weeks ago. It was to, his desire was to emphasize the person of Jesus, his works, and his teaching. So very important. So as we lead up to this portion of scripture in Mark eleven, we see that Jesus had been teaching on some major, major things here: uh, the perception of the kingdom and what that looked like, developing childlike faith, willingness to give all, to follow Jesus, what that really, really looked like, and to be a true servant. Right. The same things that Jesus desired and what he showed while he was here, he was trying to to give to his disciples and his followers that day as well. So. We see this leading up to this, this Passover time when Jewish folk from all over would come into Jerusalem and, and they would come and they would bring their money, they would bring their, their, their tithe, if you will, and they would get ready to do these sacrifices and remembrance of God delivering them from Egypt. So look, tune in closely with me as we read Mark chapter 11. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany, which is the place where Lazarus was raised from the dead, Okay, which was prophetic in a way because Jesus was bringing back life from dead bones. At the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and and just as you enter, you will find a colt tied there, okay? What is a colt? A young donkey never been ridden, okay? Don't you like that? That makes more sense now. Which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. 
If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. His, 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 really, okay? so when the fame has spread in such a way that people were identifying him as Lord, okay? So when they would say something like this, people would understand, oh, you're talking about Jesus. They went off and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, this is like Grand Theft Auto, okay? If you think about this, they're going, he's going to steal someone's vehicle. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? Do you picture this? Again, it's how I read it. All right, um, it's an action story always for me, okay? They answered as Jesus had told them, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road. Cloaks, what was their outer covering, okay? He sat on it, excuse me, spread, spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, which means save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which we see from Psalm 24, 7 and Psalm 118, 26. Again, prophetic. Blessed is the kingdom, excuse me, the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So you see them exclaiming praises toward Jesus in this moment as the Messiah, as the one who was coming to save them because again, they were thinking this mighty warrior. And then he shows up on a colt and they're like, where's the horse? Bear with me, okay? Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany, with the 12. So that's on Sunday. And then we see the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, okay, one that just had leaves on it. He went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. Now, look, you might think he got a little hangry because the fig tree didn't produce some fruit, okay? But there's deeper meaning to this. He shows up at the temple courts and he sees people buying and selling there. So what does Jesus do? This is like the exciting part. He overdid everybody's like, he's throwing tables and stuff. He's crazy up in there. All right, I don't get that bad when I'm hangry. He was straight up angry, but he didn't sin in it as well, okay? He says this. It is not, excuse me, make sure I don't miss any of this. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. As he taught them, he said, it is, is it not written, my house will be, a, will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Why did he say this? It's so important because as they would come for sacrifice, they would bring their money from all over different kingdoms. And the only money they could use was temple money. Okay, so they had to exchange this money with those who worked in the temple so that they could buy the sacrifices that they could sacrifice on Passover. Are you getting this? Well, it would have been nice if they had a great exchange rate, but what happened is they were straight up robbing people, right? Charging crazy amounts of money so that people could get sacrifices. So Jesus, in true Jesus fashion, is all mad. Imagine if we open this place up all of a sudden, and we became like a, a thrift shop or, I don't know, some type, of, some type of store in here. And all of a sudden, you guys were looking around, and you're like, what happened to our church? 
Before we used to be such a place of worship, a place of prayer, a place that we would hear from the word. And now it's just one, like another business downtown. What's up with that? We'd get a little upset in some way because they had taken to have a place of worship that is set apart for that. That's why Jesus was so upset because they had taken a place of worship and turned it into a place of commerce for people to make money. And he was upset because people's hearts were strained from the real reason why they were there. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill them, kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree with withered roots. Makes sense now. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And Jesus responds, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what, that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you. In this scripture, I know that was a lot, but you have to have the context. In this scripture, there are some ways that we can triumph as Jesus helped them see that day. Again, we have the luxury of having the full word of God that we can understand from beginning to end. Folks this day did not have that understanding. They didn't have the New Testament. All they had was current life and prophecies from the Old Testament. So we get this opportunity to find ways that we too can triumph today. Number one thing is this, triumph is developed during obedience. Triumph is developed during obedience. Mark 11, two through three, go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are doing this, say the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. Think about this. This is very significant because of the, the prophecy that's behind it. But Jesus was trying to show a couple things here that is very important for us. Number one, he was showing his disciples what true obedience looked like. Listening and doing when the path seems impossible. When the path seems impossible. Again, go ahead of me without me. Jesus is challenging them to, to learn to live without him in this way and live by faith but also live on the words that he's directed for them. Go ahead of me and listen, I want you to go to a house and you'll see a donkey there, a young one, a colt. And I want you to grab that bad boy. Imagine the feeling they may have felt. Can you? It's fun to watch it with my kids as we, we teach them how to, to, to do regular life. The first time we gave them cash and we said, all right, I want you to go up to the register and I want you to say, look, I want this. And then they have to know how to count money, which is kind of important, okay? Um, but I want you to order this, and then I want you to come back with the product, all right? It's so fun to watch. Imagine the joy that Jesus had when he saw his disciples being obedient to what he asked of them. And imagine what the disciples felt when they went and they got what he talked about and brought it back and found that what he said was true, that when he tells you to do something, he will provide for it, and everything will work out in that way. He's teaching us how to be obedient in this way. The second thing, Jesus was modeling with his own life what his obedience to the Father looked like. He was given us example of what it would look like long-term. He was fulfilling prophecy that would help others understand the significance of obedience 
as he was obedient to scripture, talked about that very day. Why is that significant? You've heard this before, Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout on a donkey. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the, the fowl of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. People thought that this little cult was so insignificant and that it, it was perceived to be someone that was weak, but it was the exact way that he would be bringing peace to the world. All of a sudden, folks that knew the Old Testament and the prophecies of a Messiah coming were like, oh, he is the Messiah. Hosanna, Hosanna. He is the one that will save us. But he's not on a horse. That's right, because he's on a donkey, on a colt, because that's what Scripture said. He is the one who will save us. Jesus was being obedient to what seemed to be a minor detail, but was a big biblical prophecy to show us what obedience looks like and what faithfulness looks like. Second thing is this. Triumph is realized when Jesus clears the room. Again, I love that picture in my mind of Jesus walking into the temple and like, you know, all this stuff happening and all this loud racket. He steps in there Sunday night. And he's like, you know what? Something's got to change tomorrow. I'll tell you what, this is ridiculous. This stuff should not be happening here. This should be a place of worship. So he steps back to Bethany again. That's the place where Lazarus was raised from the dead as well. Very important. He steps back and then the next day steps back up and is ready to clean house. And it wasn't something that he wanted to do just to show off. It was something that he wanted to do to set the precedent of how God's house should be treated. On reaching Jerusalem, he entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there, overturning tables of money changers and benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temples. He wasn't wanting us to carry merchandise. He wanted us to carry ourselves. Whew, that's deep. He wanted us to bring ourselves as a sacrifice because that's what he was about to do himself. He was about to give the ultimate sacrifice that you did not have to exchange money for ever again. You didn't have to work hard at it. You just had to receive it, this grace. Have you ever thought to yourself, why was he so hungry? So hungry? Why was he so angry at that point? Why was he so angry? No, just angry. Well, being that it was Passover, these people came from all over over. And he watched this extortion of people and desired that they could be directly connected with God. And these people charging these crazy fees so that people could get closer to God through sacrifice. He wanted to make sure that this place could become a place of healing again. And you see in other gospels that after that point, people come back and receive healing in the temple. Do we need to clear the rooms of our lives? Do we need to allow Jesus to come in and just like, ha, ha. I remember one time when I was a youth pastor, there was some, some strife going on amongst our teenagers. Does that ever happen? <laughs> All the girls are like, ooh, that was so hard being a teenage girl, wasn't it? It's wrong. I don't know anything about it, but uh, I've watched a lot, okay? But I remember it was just, just drama, dudes, ladies, all the way around. So I told them all to go outside. Go outside, and I planned it like a week before. I planned it. I said, all right, 
I need my leaders to take the students outside. And when they come back, this whole place is going to be mess, turned over, stuff thrown everywhere, because that's what I did. As soon as they walked out, I cleared the temple. I, I said, guys, this is what we look like. Jesus, to come back, this is what we look like. This is what our lives look like. We need to allow Jesus to come back in and put things together where they should be. But we have to allow him to clear things at the same time. He has desires for your life, dreams for you from the beginning. But we get things so cluttered and we build this life that we think is right when we have to allow him to clear the room so that he can come in in the way that he's supposed to. Allow Jesus to clear the room. The third is this. Triumph grows through withered trees. You're like, what? How is that successful when plants die? You talked about this earlier when you lose a crop, crop failure. But for this failure was perceived, right, again as failure, but really it was success. Why? Let's read and you'll find out. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots, from the roots down to the very root. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. He was giving his, example, his, his disciples at this moment an example of what it is really supposed, a tree that really bears fruit is supposed to look like. For so long, Israel had been a people that had beautiful, beautiful leaves, but no fruit. Think about it. We look really good on the outside sometimes, but inside we're so broken, so hurt. We don't bear anything but pain, but darkness. Frustration, sadness, whatever. When we are supposed to be a people that bear fruit, that bear life so that others can see who we are rooted in. So important for us. So important to understand. Jesus was talking about Israel. God has given you the opportunity to be a tree that bears fruit again. Just as Jesus cursed that tree that would not bear fruit, he has also given us an opportunity to receive life through him. That he looks at us as a tree that has become withered and that has been broken in many ways and will bring light to develop who he wants us to be. A tree that has life and life more abundantly. The fourth thing is this. Triumph flourishes with forgiveness. Triumph flourishes with forgiveness. Mark, 20, Mark 11, 24 through 25. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Remember, he was talking about these mountains being thrown into the sea. Remember, he was talking about these majestic things. He wasn't saying, whatever you ask for, if you want that Bentley, mm, hallelujah, pray for it. Get out your prayer. If you send $7.95 right now, I will send you back a prayer cloth that I have personally sweat upon as I preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And I will send it back to you and you will pray with you, hold it in your hands and gold dust will fly out the clouds and all this. He's not talking about that. He's talking about things that are significant. He's talking about us and others, people things, not these other things that don't make a difference. He said, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive your sins. A marvelous idea that God desires to do great things. Talking about talking to mountains and making them move. That's a big deal. Has anybody ever done that? As we were again flying in over the mountains last night, it was just so beautiful to come back to West by God because it is amazing. And you see the majesty of God as he just pushed these things up and these rolling hills and mountains that we get to enjoy, that we get to traverse from here. But that perspective that we got to see was totally different. Okay? 
and you think about the perspective that God wants us to carry when it comes to triumph, that he wants to move mountains in your life and he wants you to move mountains in the lives of others, things that make sense like that. And these things have to start with prayer. Prayer, so essential, distinguishable. If we want to see mountains move, you have to have a life of prayer. You know there's a distinguishable difference between the time when you are in prayer and when you are out of prayer, right? It seems that even when you are in prayer and hard things happen, you keep the right perspective. Why? Because you're talking to the one that holds everything and the one who created those mountains that you want to see moved. These things start with an emphasis on others versus self. Others versus self. Again, it's not you praying for the nice new house, which there's nothing wrong with new houses. It's not praying for your bank account overflowing with finances, which there's nothing wrong with having money. I'm not saying that. But it's your vision and your goal in life is to pray and be there for others, and your needs will always be taken care of in the same way. Others versus self. These things start with forgiving. Forgiving others. Why is this so important? Because Jesus started off this holy week, started off his life with the understanding that he would give once and for all the gift of life and it would be forgiveness of sin. But if you can't forgive them, how can he forgive you? Look, I get it. You're like, but you don't understand what happened to me. I don't. You don't understand how hard my life is. I don't. I don't understand it and I hate I hate to watch you guys go through hard stuff just like myself. But I know I can't hold unforgiveness in my life. I have to give forgiveness so that I can continue to receive forgiveness. It wasn't just the once and for all, God, forgive me of sins. Let me start a life with you now. It's every day. God, let me realign my life with you. If there's anything in me that needs to be forgiven, forgive me in it so that, that I don't have to carry this unforgiveness. Help me to forgive others the things that have been done to me that are so beyond. Help me, God, to live a life of forgiveness. We end with this, Psalm 118, one through seven. Our team's gonna come forward. We're gonna conclude this morning. I shared this verse with you earlier on a couple weeks ago. It starts with, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Now we hear later in Psalm 118, prophetic scripture about Jesus coming, but it starts with this, giving thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Think about that Israel, this nation that had been forgiven of so much and had been taken out of slavery and the bondage of Egypt and now was given this opportunity to receive life for his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. God is bringing triumph to your life as he brought Jesus down that path that day in an unsuspected and unexpected way on a colt. We see that he wants us to have a life that gives thanks, but we have to have the right perspective that we haven't failed backward, but we've failed forward with success, that he has caused us to triumph. Isn't that exciting? 
That's an opportunity. And this week, as you read the scriptures, you'll see how God put all these things together to make perfect sense of chaos. Much like our lives today. Much like our lives yesterday. Maybe three weeks ago. Maybe tomorrow. How do we get through this? Give thanks and he will bring triumph. Still say Hosanna every day. It's funny when you think about it. Some scholars say that the ones who yelled Hosanna were the same ones that yelled crucify him. Some say that was just the religious leaders that yelled crucify him. Regardless, in our lives, we have a choice. Will we allow him to save us on the front end and the back? Right? In the beginning, save us and then save us with your life, death, and resurrection. Thank you. Close your eyes with me this morning. What is it that you've believed to be failure in your life? What has the enemy caused you to believe, to think that you don't have triumph, that you don't have the success that God has and plan and store for you? We're gonna, we're gonna give thanks through this. We're gonna find a way as we look at these things that can be so polarizing, so overwhelming, and we are gonna find a way to give thanks because in that, he will bring triumph. That attitude of gratitude realigns our hearts and understanding that if we're in him, we will have triumph. Every day we will walk as we, as we walk with him with an understanding that he has intervened, that he is with us, he's not left us, he's not forsaken us. And what we perceived as failure is really success because we have eternity with him. And we say, God, thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you that you've caused us to triumph. Love you. So I just want to ask you a question this morning. Where's your relationship at with him? Do you feel like it's a struggle to believe? Do you feel like you're in a dark room place where you don't feel like you have triumph in your life, but you're experiencing maybe just a lot of, of, of perceived failure this morning? You need God to change your mindset. feel like you need him to bring that success that triumph to you this morning just simply look at me real quick okay all right yeah, a lot of us okay okay all right and the second thing is this is making sure the relationship factor is there the most important thing you can have is the right relationship with God through his son Jesus that's why Jesus came Maybe it's for the first time that you're doing this, that you're believing. Or maybe it's for the second or the third. You just had a really rough season that you feel like you've believed that you're a failure, that you don't have kingdom success in your life, that you, you, your hopes were dashed, that you don't have this in your life. If you need to give your life to him for the first time, just simply look at me. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Awesome. Or maybe you just need to re-engage your faith this morning. Just simply look at me this morning. Okay. All right. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. You're making steps of faith, believing. So this morning, God, we give thanks.
to the one who gives life, the one who causes us to triumph. God, we thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, came to this world and died for our sins, those things that separated us from you. And we thank you this morning that we have experienced your grace and that you have realigned us with that we are. God, we are so blessed with that understanding this morning that we are in you. And I pray, God, that in this moment, as we've made decisions to follow you, that we can feel the weight of the world that was upon our shoulders just be lifted right off of us. And that we can feel the kingdom success, the triumph that we have within us. That we are focused on you so heavily. That we love you so much and that we love others so much that we don't don't succumb to unforgiveness, but we are a forgiving people because we have been forgiven. And you have caused us to triumph. We thank you for it. God, which leads us to an opportunity to worship you, to thank you. So this morning, God, we want to do that as we conclude. We want to worship you and give thanks. If you could, just stand with me this morning. As our team leads us, if you would like prayer for anything whatsoever, you can slide forward now. Or as folks leave this morning, worship with us.